I was listening to, I, I go out running quite a lot. I'm a quite a big runner. Um, and I listen to a lot of audio books. I've just finished listening to one of Frank Turner's books where he talks about kind of songwriting and the, the idea that, you know, when a song is written as the artist, you, you actually don't have any control over it anymore. And you almost shouldn't try and retain that control over it. Um, and I, I really like that idea that once you put a song out, actually it's then up to the audience to make of it as they will and they might get completely the different interpretation but that's kind of as the artist you should be okay with that um and I think that's so true for, for so many Bruce songs that you know actually Th Thunder Road could be this a song for the brokenhearted but it could also absolutely like it is for me be a, a song for the very content that actually it has a very happy ending um and I you know, it's the beauty of music in general and so many kind of, of, of Springsteen songs allow that that variety of interpretation. And, you know, sometimes we work out what his his vision and his idea was when he was writing. And even then, I think we're still allowed to have our own interpretations. I think that's. and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today in a timey-wimey episode, it's my morning, it's his afternoon, uh, Andy Lewis. Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, uh, so uh, tell us a little about yourself. Um, so I'm a deputy head teacher at a silk school, which is, I suppose, for, for American listeners, would be the equivalent of a vice principal um, in East London, um, an all-boys Catholic school. Um, I'm a father um, to two young boys, Tommy and Joseph, of four and two, and husband to my wife, um, Emily. Um, we live just in the very east edges of London, um, and as I said, Huge printing fan. Um, I suppose some other hobbies are watching sport at Southend. All right, so Andy, I'm going to stop you. That is. Um, they had their first game of the season today and losing currently, so that's all good. All right, Andy, so you were distorted, so I'm going to turn my camera off to see if that helps okay. the bandwidth. Do the, yeah, let's do, do that. Do let's same. try that again, just in case. Sometimes we get a better connection when you don't have to do the visual. All right. I'll switch mine off as well. All right, sounds good. All right, so take again. So, Andy, tell us a little about yourself. So, I am a deputy head teacher, which um, for any American listeners is a, a vice principal, I suppose would be the equivalent, um, at an all-boys Catholic school in East London. Um, I'm a husband. My wife is called Emily. And I've got two young boys, Tommy and Joseph, who are aged four and two. Um, obviously, I'm a huge Springsteen fan. And I suppose a, a big music fan um, in general, um, certainly missing live concerts at the minute. Um, also a sports fan. My soccer team, um, again, for you Americans, is South United. They're playing their first game of the season today and currently losing 2-0. So um, not great oh, on that front. Oh, no. So hopefully maybe talking to me will make it a little bit easier. You know, you have something to look Absolutely. forward to. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, 
talk to me. How are you guys handing with the pandemic, especially you with schools? How are you guys doing this? Um, it's interesting. We've been reopened now for kind of a week and a half. Um, we have got all 1,300 of our students on site. There is a lot of hand washing, um, a lot of antibacterial gel. Um, we're keeping all the year groups separate in, in what we call bubbles. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a challenge, and I think we, we're not quite sure what the next few weeks and months hold. Um, our restrictions are a bit tighter from, from Monday. We can only meet up with, with six people in total. Um, so, yeah, I think it's quite difficult at the minute to, to exactly pinpoint when this is going to end. Um, if things are getting worse, if things are, you know, slowly getting better, it's um, I think that uncertainty is quite tough for everyone. Yeah. Um, are you guys are the are the kids wearing masks? Um, they're moving masks, wearing masks when they're kind of moving around um, to and from school on public transport and so on. Um, it's we're constantly kind of reviewing what else we need to do. Um, you know, I think everyone recognizes in, in some respects the, the school decision is is a bit of a risk. Um, and I think only in time will we be able to kind of judge the government's decisions on this you know um was it the right thing to get them back to school was it the wrong thing um i think it's just too early to say but it you know it's a bit of an anxious time for that reason you know uh, people feel a little bit at risk people feel a little bit worried it's you know it's hard yeah, you know, we're struggling with that here in the UK, US about, you know, like opening schools. A lot of schools are still remote. We're doing, um, you know, like I was talking to Rob Carmack, who does, um, you know, co-hosts the Springsteen's He's the Alphabet podcast. He's here in Texas and, you know, he's got three elementary school kids and they're all doing it online. So his yeah. whole house is just, you know, a school. Um, so yeah. it's been crazy. Yeah, the challenge I think for our students is, is where I work is in, in quite a, an economically deprived um, area in, in East London. And when we were on lockdown early in the year, um, a lot of the students quite simply didn't have the, the access that they needed to, to complete work online. Um, you know, a lot of households didn't have a device with a keyboard or, you know, a laptop or a PC. They only had kind of tablets and so on, which makes work hard. Um, you know, some of them don't have the... Um, that the broadband required for kind of video lessons, um, a lot of them kind of um, in quite cramped housing conditions, which means, you know, actually studying is quite tough. So I know for our students, it, it was a very difficult time. And, and that's why as much as it's very difficult, it is great to see them back in school because we know that's a really, really important part of their, their life, being in school and, and kind of everything that goes with that. Yeah, I think so, Andy. And I think, you know, we're all pulling for everyone to stay as safe as we can and try to get back to as much normalness as possible. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I always like to start at the beginning, Andy. So um, talk a little bit. Where did you grow up and what kind of music did your family listen to uh, when you were a kid? So um, I grew up um, just in a little village outside of a town called South End on Sea. Um, South End is, is relatively well known. It's got the, the longest pleasure pier in the world, one of our claims to fame. Um, and it's in a, in a county called Essex. Um, and my parents were both very much um, into their, their music. And in, in kind of preparation for this, I kind of 
caused me to, to revisit those kind of memories. And, you know, they, they both were kind of into, I suppose, similar music, which included kind of a bit more kind of rocky stuff like Tom Petty, um, Santana and so on. The Eagles, Steely Dan, uh, but also kind of very much the, the 80s kind of music that was popular at the time. Um, Human League, Pet Shop Boys, David Bowie, ABC, um, Cindy Lauper. Um, but also, I suppose, some of the, the more acoustic stuff, um, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, James Taylor. So they kind of had a, a, a quite eclectic taste. And I remember kind of getting into that quite early as well. Um, cassettes in the car on, on, on long journeys. And, you know, from quite a young age, I remember kind of rooting through um, my dad's kind of cassette drawer and being fascinated by his vinyl collection. And, you know, he would always quite often enjoy maybe on a on a Saturday night kind of putting on some music and uh, and all of us kind of enjoying it so there was always a lot of music around and it, it was always very important to my family that that's you know I, I love that story um, I, I remember going through my parents vinyl and also um, you you made me smile because you know now then you you don't have a uh, a case of cassettes or in my case growing up a case of eight tracks uh, you know uh, maybe a list of cds and now then everything is you know digital so you just have your um you know your phone or an mp3 yeah. player maybe yeah no exactly i mean uh, i suppose my yeah, my two boys are, okay. are used to just using alexa um and spotify on alexa and kind of calling out okay. the songs that they want and uh it, i suppose there is a bit of sadness there really because they're, they're not going to have that and you know, for, for example, I, I, I still vividly remember kind of those cassette cases and the, the, the vinyl cases. You know, I, I remember from a young age, even before I kind of got into to Springsteen, remembering seeing that really iconic um, Born in the USA album cover. That, that that was one I remember from the cassette drawer, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's there is a bit of sadness around that. I, you know, um, I don't think my, my boys are going to have that same experience. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that you're right. There is a little bit of sadness to it. I mean, not like, oh, it's horrible, but just there is that memory of, you know, going through that and having that. That's pretty cool. You you mentioned Finding Bruce. Um, do you remember when you did f first become aware of Bruce's music and yeah. uh, w what about it spoke to you? Um, I suppose so – it wasn't really through my parents um, for a start. Um, actually, my first kind of I suppose the first music that I really kind of got into and liked was that the whole Britpop scene um, in the UK, which is probably kind of showing my, my age, um, kind of uh, I'm 37 now. So um, when I was kind of in, in high school, I really got into the, the Britpop, um, Ocean Colour Scene, Oasis, Blur. Um, but actually, I then started, I had a friend who was a couple of years older than me, um, Tim, and uh, Tim had a, a Saturday job in um, a, a clothing store called River Island. And, and there was a guy he worked with and kind of it was one of those passing, passing things along. And I think, first of all, I kind of got into Bob Dylan through him and, and then he kind of recommended Bruce Springsteen and. Um, there was a, a fantastic secondhand music store in, in Southend. I don't know if it's still there, actually, called Golden Discs. They used to sell CDs secondhand because we were then into the CD era. Um, and I picked up the, the, the 1995 Greatest Hits um, for £5. What's that, about $7 or $8? Um, 
and you know from there kind of everything grew really um I, I kind of absolutely fell in love with that that greatest hits and played it over and over and over again um and I suppose that was that was the, the start of that relationship um then obviously going to my first concert um which was the rising tour um which was at Crystal Palace which is um, again a, a, a unusually large venue for me to to see any any kind of musical event and just the size of it and then just you know as for so many other people your your first Springsteen show is is very special and you're kind of got for life aren't you and again even within that concert I I remember you know these kind of key parts of the journey and Jungle Land and the stacks kicking in and I just remember that moment and just thought you know I'm here. I've arrived. This is it. Um, and you know, the, the rest is, is kind of just an ongoing relationship that, that I've had, um, through the shows, through the music, finding more and more, um, that, that kind of just spoke to me really. It's what was quite fascinating watching the, um, the recent Blinded by the Light movie. Um, yes, absolutely. Kind of, yeah, you know, set, in the UK, kind of in in 1970s Luton, um, and I think you know, watching that, despite things being quite different for me, kind of growing up in the, the late uh, 90s, early 2000s in South End, um, that same story was there. That I guess that same escapism, that same um, um, landscape, you know, really kind of um, just really hit home to me I mean there is also I think I, I don't know if it's artificial I don't know if you kind of just view these things because that's your own experience and that's the the kind of way in which you want them to be but um a few years ago I came across um a, a little kind of um reflection I suppose written by Billy Bragg yes uh, and so Billy Bragg not not a million miles away from from where I live now he grew up in in, in Barking and during his childhood, he used to go out to, to Southend-on-Sea um, by car with his family. And he wrote this little bit about this road called the A13. The A13 is a, a road that kind of comes out of East London uh, all the way to the seaside, to Southend. And um, I dug out the little kind of extracts uh, that he said. Um, you know, he said, me and my dad have joined the Saxons and the peasants result, revolt in history. But the A13 is still there rolling through a Springsteen-esque landscape in which Riverine Essex takes the place of New Jersey Shore, a Tom Adam trail to the promised land. And I thought, actually, someone else kind of sees these parallels with, you know, New York, New Jersey, London, Essex. And, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm sure everyone finds finds their own um bit of Springsteen in their local area but you know I thought actually Billy Bragg's kind of summed it up very well here and again when I had the the, the the real joy a few years ago my best friend lives in New York and we kind of took a few days extra around the wedding when he got married um, and, and drove out kind of from Manhattan over to Jersey City and, and out to Asbury Park and there was definitely that similarity of driving down the A13 you know it it did kind of feel that there might be something there yeah, uh, I can imagine. That's that's great. Um, you mentioned seeing him the first time on the Rising Tour. Um, when I ask this question, I always preface with just I don't think the amount of times you've seen him perform live is a fair barometer of what kind of fan you are. But just for the record, do you know how many times you've seen him live? 
Yeah, eight times, um, which I know probably puts me in the, the very small time league in no, some no, respects. But you're right. I think partly it's it's a bit more difficult in the UK as well, you know. Sure. Also, you know, it's it is a huge expense, and you know, perhaps at different points in your life you can justify that a bit more. Um, I've seen him nearly every time that he came to London. Um, I, one of the, the concerts at the O2, we played one show at the O2, that was the only UK show, and it was just impossible to get tickets. Um, also, what what I've kind of found is is also there's something quite nice about building in a bit of travel with the show as well. And the first overseas show I went to was Bergen in Norway. And I went with a, a few friends and Bergen is the most beautiful city anyway. Um, and the concert experience there was, was just something else. And uh, I think the difficulty is some of the gigs that kind of happen, particularly in London, um, are real kind of social events for people. They're like, oh, yeah, great, great. We'll go to Hyde Park. We'll see Bruce Springsteen. We'll, we'll have 10 points and we'll sing loudly to Born in the USA. And, you know, fair enough. That's that's what some people kind of want. But the, the, the concert in Bergen was just something else because there was just a totally different atmosphere. And I kind of felt that, you know, it was a lot, a lot different and a, a lot more enjoyable, a lot more pleasant in some respects. And, you know, building around that the visit to the city as well was, was quite special. Um, the last show we went to as well, we kind of, uh, for, for um, the, the River Tour, we kind of, I actually bypassed the, the London Wembley show, um, although my parents went to it. That was their first ever Springsteen concert, um, kind of in their in their 50s, maybe even their early 60s. Um, and that was their first Springsteen show, which they absolutely loved. So they went to the, the, the Wembley show, but we went to Rome um, and saw the, the concert in the, the Circus Maximus, which was just the most incredible venue um it was a bit unusual for a springsteen show because it did have support acts as well another bad guy yeah there's accounting crows who another band i love they were playing as well and it kind of again as a teacher it can be quite difficult to 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 go to concerts not on a weekend and it just felt perfect fell perfectly it was a weekend in july in rome we kind of flew in on the friday night Flew out again on the Sunday, two nights in Rome, Saturday night, seeing, um, you know, the Counting Crows and there's a few other bands. I can't remember who off the top of my head. Um, and then obviously Springsteen in, in one of the most dramatic and amazing locations, um, the Circus Maximus, where they, they used to kind of have the chariot racing and things like that. It just it just was really special. And again, I think I think Bruce in Italy is, you know, for a lot of people is quite special. Um it was he actually played, um, for example, before he kind of got into playing all the River album shows, he played New York City Serenade. He opened that, you know, which was very, very rare at the time. It was kind of a bit of an Italian thing for a while. Um, and so he opened with that, which was, you know, amazing. And it just was a such a fantastic show in hugely beautiful and dramatic surroundings that just was, you know, will always be a highlight i think of whatever may come in my kind of uh bruce shows um itinerary if that makes sense yeah it really does and i can imagine uh so do the do the do the kids at your school know you're a big springsteen fan yeah i mean i've got a, a signed picture up in my my office that they're quite often 
who who's that? Um, yeah, I, I've I quite often talk about um, Springsteen. I bring him into lessons when I can. Um, I'm an RE teacher, which uh, religious education. Um, our schooling system is quite different. Our Catholic schools are still state kind of government schools. Um, so oh, a little bit different to US. Yeah. So um, and actually, all t- all students in all schools have um, religious education. Um, it is a bit different in a Catholic school, but um, you know, there, there's times when it it feels totally appropriate to to bring in a bit of Springsteen. Um, you know, when we've had lessons, um, you know, when we've uh, I've brought in probably countless times, you know, um, Jesus was an only son, you know, that fits perfectly, um, you know, but also there's there's such strong religious imagery in in so many of um, Bruce's kind of music that you know. I quite often find it a, a way to bring it into lessons. And, you know, uh, as with so many people, you, you end up bringing um, your loves into any conversations you have and teaching is just the same, really. And so they, they kind of know about it. I wouldn't say they necessarily really recognize any Springsteen songs and it. It definitely wouldn't be the kind of music that they're into. No, no, not at all. But yeah, I'm like, it's, you know, they make the joke at work that, no matter what the subject, it seems like I could find a Springsteen connection to tell a story about. <laughs> yeah. um, and I kind of raise my hand and go, yep, you're, you're right. Uh, <laughs> that is very much me. Uh, so, yeah, a- absolutely. Um, that's 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 kind of cool that you're doing that and you're kind of enjoying that. Do um, – I can only imagine it was missing really because uh, you're you not only teach at a Catholic school but you are Catholic it appears and yep. so uh, was there a little special seeing him in Rome not only because of the venue but because of the city and and all the connection that is to you? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think I don't think it was in, I don't think it was on that weekend, but I think the time before. Um, Bruce and, and Patty had gone to, to see kind of the Vatican and things like that because there was some photos I think I think it was the previous time they were in Rome and so on and yeah I mean I love Rome anyway it's uh it kind of feels like a bit of a a bit of a home um yeah. we went we went there just after you know for, you may have seen on my Twitter profile um just after we got married we went to Rome and um, if you're a newlywed, um, you get to go to the front of the papal audience. And we, we met Pope Francis and got the chance to speak to him. And, you know, that was an incredibly powerful moment, you know, on the, the yeah. steps of St. Peter, uh, St. Peter's Basilica, um, meeting, meeting the Pope. Um, and, you know, I've taken school trips there and it is, it's, it, you know, as a, a Catholic, it's a, a very important and, and special place. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of managed to, um, pop into the, the Vatican City on a Sunday morning before we, we flew home, just, you know, um, yeah. as you feel you must. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, um, you know, I had, um, I've told the story many times on the podcast about driving down to Austin and meeting Bruce for the seven seconds that, you know, yeah. during the book signing and what I was going to say, what I was going to say. Did, did you and your lovely bride know you were going to get a few seconds with the Pope and had you thought about what you wanted to say? Um, it is, yeah, I mean, it's, it, <laughs> there is some strange parallels there for sure. Um, we kind of, I suppose, in, in similar respects to, to you in that situation, we didn't quite know what it was going to be like. We kind of knew that we would probably get close to him, but we didn't know if we would be able to talk to him. We didn't know 
we didn't know what the protocol was going to be. Um, and, you know, we also didn't know how good his English was going to be. So that's perhaps a, a slightly different one. Uh, everyone kind of said his English is not very good, but um, he um, he was very kind of affable. And I suppose we, we kind of didn't really plan it. Would I plan it more, perhaps? Um, again, I, I've never had the opportunity to, to, to meet Springsteen. Um, I, I, even if I knew in advance, I would have absolutely no idea um, with what I was going to say. Um, it's, it's difficult, isn't it, when you're contemplating meeting your heroes? Absolutely. Um, you kind of want to act cool. You kind of want to be like, yeah, this is no big deal. Where cause inside you're kind of doing somersaults and. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that was, I suppose. Um, the Pope spoke to us briefly and he asked us where we came from. He said from London um, and um, he he simply, he, you know, he blessed our marriage, um, uh, which was was nice. And I, one of the powerful things, I suppose the humility of him, he, he asked us to pray for him, which sounded a bit kind of, well, you're the Pope. You need to be praying for us, please. We're, um, we're in, in, in greater need, surely. But um, yeah, it's it's a strange moment when you, you kind of meet meet those people that are very important to you that that's that's very lovely right um i i don't know if you've ever if you've seen the movie um recently where tom hanks played mr rogers um Uh, no i haven't okay well there is some scenes where and i guess this was true that uh mr rogers fred rogers would ask people he met uh to pray for him um and you know and instead of saying i'll be praying for you he would say you know you're i feel like you're really close to god and so please remember to pray for me which i think was is a nice moment and i i think very much the humility of 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 the pope realizing i'm i'm on you know this is a difficult job to do right and it's um so i I can imagine that's that's kind of cool um, yeah, it was... you know, you just recently tweeted that um, you hadn't been blogging lately, but you kind of went back to your blog and you were talking about your book. So share me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I've written a number of books, <laughs> most of the textbooks, actually, um, and, 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 and are re-related books. So, um, yeah, I suppose from professional affirmation writing the textbook for the courses you study is is is, is a great kind of privilege uh, i used to blog quite a lot um, and i suppose it uh, it ended up where i kind of it was supposed to be a, a kind of professional blog about kind of teaching and education and, and me kind of sharing my thoughts around that but it i suppose it was kind of getting more and more kind of personal writing i kind of didn't feel i had enough there to really start kind of a personal blog um, i had included you know I said it's basically an education blog, but I, when Bruce was on his Desert Island Discs um, a radio show in the UK, I kind of, which obviously I'm sure is known worldwide, um, I kind of did my own in my blog and things like that. But at the minute, kind of, I've ended up being in a very privileged position where where people are um, offering to to let me write books. Uh, my my most recent one was um, a book about how to teach religious education. Um, which actually I know a few copies have, have, have floated over to the US and teachers over there have, have, have taken those, which is great. Um, the next book I'm writing is actually kind of about Catholic education in the UK. So um, that that will be providing a bit of a, a wider insight into how our kind of 
the history of our education system over here. I mean, it's it, it is quite different to, to in the US and um, we, we, I suppose, occupy a, a fascinating kind of position where the state pays for Catholic schools. But the Catholic schools will quite often the land and the buildings are are still owned by dioceses and religious orders and things like that. So it's it's a complex but has been successful relationship. So that's my next book. Um, oh, interesting. They're more kind of for students. This one is perhaps um, a bit more for anyone that would have an interest in, in Catholic education in the UK. Yeah, because, you know, when we uh, Chris went first through eighth grade to Catholic school. Then when it went time to go to high school, we just flat couldn't afford to go to Jesuit high school or Pope Paul high school. There, you know, there's, there's a couple of Catholic high schools in Dallas and, and they just, all of them were way too expensive for us. And so we, we made the decision to have him go to public high school. And, you know, we, we certainly don't regret uh, the eight years he was in parochial school. And I, I think it has given him a solid, um, a good education, a solid thing on his faith. Um, so I think that's interesting that um, the families, you know, necessarily, you, I take it you get a choice of going to a Catholic school. and uh, Yeah, I mean, the, 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 it does vary depending on the country and uh, whereabouts in the country you are and kind yeah. of what the Catholic population around there is, is like. But the, the idea that we provide places for Catholic students first, say we have a certificate of practice, so the parish priest would sign a certificate to say you are a practicing Catholic and that would grant you a place in a, a Catholic school. Um, however, they're, they're, they're incredibly popular over here, even for, for non-Catholics. Um, a lot of people of other faiths, they would quite they would often prefer their children to go to Catholic schools. Also, we're in a, a good position where, where Catholic schools are generally regarded as getting good results, behaviours generally regarded as good, all of those kind of things. And uh, my belief is that that's not accidental and perhaps it is something to do with kind of the ethos and um, and how those schools are perhaps um, founded on, on some different principles um but then equally you know we have we have lots of, of very good schools over here it's just you know we do have that option for parents we do have that choice um you know we do have various different school types and one of the types we have are not only catholic schools we have church of england schools and we do have a small number of uh, hindu uh, muslim and jewish schools um which are funded by the the, the state by the government um and do have the option of of kind of putting these faith requirements. Yeah, a lot of people do have some issues with it. Um, a lot of people don't agree with them. Um, I think for, for Catholic schools and Church of England schools, we, we kind of have the strength um, that um, the church recognised the need for free education before the state. So the, the Catholic Church and the Church of England and, and actually other denominations like the Methodists were, were opening schools and providing free education before the government were so that kind of just puts us in quite a strong position we've also very generously as i said given our land given our buildings so the state have not had to provide that and it's a long and perhaps complicated relationship but it it kind of works no i find that pretty interesting and i, I do see how that could be a very cool uh story on the book you're working on um so You've already shared going to Rome, but do you have other stories from um, shows you've gone to that you might want to share with the audience? 
Yeah, I mean, as I said, it's the 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 London shows I've been to have been always been fantastic. It's always been the, the, the you know the the show that 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 happens. Um, you know, I think I think again one of the things that that's always been good has been the company. Uh, you know, Crystal Palace, the Emirates, um, Wembley Arena for the, the Sega sessions. I went you know, with my friend Tim, who I mentioned before, and who kind of got me into to, to Bruce originally, uh, my friend Nick, uh, you know, again, people that are my friends who I've grown up with, um, who are also huge kind of Springsteen fans. So, you know, it, it was always just really good fun. Um, I think for those shows, it was, I suppose in some respects, it was your almost your standard um, concert experience, kind of meeting the pub, have a burger and a couple of pints walk into the the, the the stadiums have you know an absolutely fantastic evening with the, the show absolutely blowing you away and kind of wandering home and, and getting the tube um back to your house you know um again some of the other kind of shows we we kind of went to uh you know in Hyde Park for the hard rock calling shows and they were were kind of great um they did one in the Olympic Park and um, that was a bit of a shame, actually, because that, that, that was a great venue because it was kind of artificial grass on concrete. You know, but that that area's now been built all over as part of the Olympic legacy. Um, the hard rock calling shows were, were quite cool as well, because my uh, my brother in law actually lives in, in Florence in Italy. Um, and he at the time was working um, for the Hard Rock Cafe and he was kind of shipped over as bar staff to, to work at those concerts. So we got to meet him. Um, that was great. Um you know, just little moments like that, because I think quite often, um, as always is the case, it, it's about the show, but it's also about kind of meeting up with friends and, and family around the show as well. And, and that kind of sense of, of, of community. And I, I think certainly within my kind of friendship groups, because there's enough of us that are huge Springsteen fans. Um, there's enough people that quite often want to come along as well, because they kind of want to see what it's all about. Um, and so we've kind of brought people's brothers people's friends people's workmates and and sometimes being quite a, a big group of us to go to the concerts with you know the hardcore of kind of fans in the middle and you know but quite a few other I suppose curious interested um, people that have come along as, who then kind of walk away saying well that was the best concert I've ever been to in my life um, which always kind of feels great to be bringing people into the fold and, and sharing that experience I think there's always something really nice about that um Berg and I went to with um, a couple of friends that um I got to, to know through um a, a, a small community I suppose who follow a singer songwriter called Tom McRae. Uh, Tom McRae is again a huge Springsteen fan, um, as you know so many musicians are. I was always quite jealous. He got to come over to the the Springsteen on Broadway shows. I I tried three times. Again as a teacher, I needed a weekend ticket and sure. Kind of, Never, never could I find, well, never could I get any ticket whatsoever in any of the drops, but I, I kind of needed a Saturday night ticket and then had to work out, would it be possible to fly from London on a Friday night, go to the Saturday night show and somehow fly back again on the Sunday, which um, always felt like it would was ambitious to begin yes, with. Yes, absolutely. But, um, <laughs> the things that you would do for Bruce, hey? Yes, um, exactly. It was kind of, I, I'd actually set aside... Um, kind of uh, some of my my early textbooks that I'd written a couple of years ago I'd set aside those kind of royalty money when that had come in in a in a savings account just in the hope that 
maybe I could blow it all on a weekend to see Springsteen on Broadway, but um, it was never meant to be, sadly. And I couldn't, I couldn't do any of the things that other people did by kind of turning up and locating tickets and sourcing tickets right. or, or waiting in the queue. None of that was kind of open to a teacher who lived in London, but, you yeah. know... Um, so watching it on Netflix was great. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it is an amazing show. Um, is your is your spouse a fan? Yeah, Emily's a, a big Bruce fan. I've kind of, uh, I suppose it was kind of part of the deal, really. In some respects, we um, after we got married, we we walked down the aisle to Thunder Road. Um, we had uh, the the kind of piano version, um, the the one that opened Hyde Park actually, one of the concerts we went to together, um, and um, we we said to our uh, um, uh, pianist who was playing in the, the church that we wanted to walk down the aisle, uh, walk out the church to, to Thunder Road, and and that was great, and and again, loads of my friends being Springsteen fans, we we didn't tell anyone this was going to happen, and so we're walking down the aisle, and people suddenly kind of clocked what we were walking down the aisle to and uh my, my friend Liz just said she she was a bit tearful to begin with and she was just in flood of tears when she realized what it was um I quoted uh, Born to Run in my wedding speech about having you know allowing all the madness in my soul um we had we, we didn't have Bruce for our first dance actually um I think it's because everyone thought that we would right um, so you guys wanted to do a little was, twist yeah so um we we actually another band that that both of us kind of love and have been seeing a lot of times with the eels so our first dance was um i like the way this is going by the eels oh um, that sounds lovely yeah that that was quite a nice quiet slow dance tune and then our second song was dancing in the dark because we just kind of wanted to uh, go straight into getting everyone on the dance floor and, and, and that was kind of um a great moment actually it was one of my friends carmel suggested it actually when we were in new york um, for my friend's wedding she lived in in jersey and we stayed with her for the wedding and she said actually you know the perfect song to get everyone on the dance floor is is dancing in the dark and so that was our second song and yeah it was brilliant i'd, I'd highly recommend that if you want to get everyone on the dance floor oh yeah that's great that's that's awesome um andy are there other songs that you know have mean a lot to you or your family um, like helped you get through maybe you know some tough times in your lives or help celebrate yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, there's there's a song for every moment, and I think that's why, yes. and there's such variety, and there's, you know, songs, songs even that you've heard many times kind of can just hit you in a different way at a different moment, and I think, I, I think that's the beauty of music in, in general, isn't it, that, you know, it can mean different things to different people, but it can also mean different things to you at, at different times, and, yeah, you know, I think when I was, I, I was young, I mean, and, it still is probably my favorite album the, the born to run album just I, i've kind of tried sometimes to think that maybe i need to to move away from perhaps the most famous album as being my favorite but then you listen to it and you think actually this is still amazing um you know but there have been times where you know I, I, you know you felt like different people in in the different songs and uh, you know moments of, of happiness and sadness you know things have, have hit you i think that the ghost of tom joad is always a special song for me and unlike some people i like all the different versions i, I like that kind of real uh, kind of pensive acoustic version but i also love the, the tom morello kind of version as well um i do a lot of community organizing at school and uh, we do a lot of work in the community you know with people in different ways and again one of the uh, when we were in rome 
I don't know fully what the backstory of it was, but the Gates of Tom Jade was dedicated to a group of social workers um, in Rome. Um, I don't know what that connection had, had been, probably, you know, the usual kind of Springsteen reaching out to, to different organisations when he's visiting different cities. And, you know, that, that again felt particularly special. So that's always a song. Um, again, uh, John Steinbeck's one of my favourite authors. I, I love The Grapes of Wrath. Um, you know, I, I, I still don't know which kind of came first. Was it kind of through Bruce or did I find him independently? It, the, the memories kind of get blurred a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I think some of the... just, I hate to interrupt you, but I was just going to yeah. tell you, I just had, um, you know, a, a, a guy on the podcast, uh, Tim, and he talked about you know Steinbeck is one of his favorite writers and he is he is absolutely convinced that Bruce is a Steinbeck fan that that is something that um influences him a great deal yeah i, I would agree and i think they've also got that similar ability to just see into something of the human person um uh, there's just an insight that i think both springsteen and steinbeck have where they get people they understand how people work particularly in their moments of joy their moments of grieving their mo- i think they just both get it and are able to express it in different ways um so i think yeah they they definitely share something um maybe i can't always put my finger on it um no i think you're I- right i think you're very much right I think some of the other songs that I suppose speak to me a lot more now, um, I've already mentioned the song, but, you know, Jesus was an only son. Um, when during the um, kind of Devils and Dust tour, which I, I, I never got to, to see, uh, again, Bruce only did a, a small show at the, the Royal Albert Hall, I think, in London for that show. Um, but listening to the intro of that, where he kind of talks about himself as a father and the way in which, you know, as soon as a child is born, there's that kind of, ontological shift where there's there's nothing you wouldn't do you, you know you'd throw yourself in front of a, a train for your, your children and yeah um you know actually all of a sudden kind of springsteen as a father and those kind of songs again kind of you know make me feel quite emotional at times and you know it was it was great when i'll stand by you always kind of finally emerged from the vault and you know that being kind of a, a song written for his son and you know i think those kind of family related aspects to his his songwriting again are, are songs that I, I suppose I feel quite special to me now as you know I've only been a, a dad for kind of five years but you know it's 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 an incredible privilege to to, to do that and you know sometimes someone else's words sum things up in, in a way you can't always yeah I agree and you know like that MTV storytellers or vh1 storytellers where he talks about you know i'm not gonna f it up too much this time right he said that (laughs) uh that you know lyrically and you know rhythmically it wouldn't add but that was the point and um i do think that's uh well done and and that is um i was lucky enough to go to a devils and dust tour and you know he talks about it's the humanity that strikes him and uh Yeah, that is just an absolutely beautiful song. Uh, I absolutely could see that. Um, so I always like to ask, um, hopefully he's going to tour again. Uh, any initial thoughts on uh, the new release that we got this week? Yeah, I mean, uh, I tell you what, it, it, 
we'd all you know i spend far too much time on social media and the the rumors it's it's always funny isn't it when you you kind of realize that actually the the rumors might actually be true and yes i think for me um i think the first one's interesting i I suppose my first listen to it i was like yeah it's pretty good but you know by about the third or fourth listen i was like this is this is kind of bruce at his best kind of post rising best you know i think it's it's not dissimilar in in some respects to kind of western stars and some of the the other kind of great music that uh, in the latter part of his career you know he's not going to write born to run again and you know he's not going to do something you know in that vein but i don't know i think we're we're witnessing a a fascinating kind of i suppose chapter of of the, the the springsteen story and you know, with with the book Born to Run, with the, the Broadway show, we've been given that kind of real insight. And in some respects, that kind of seems to be what the letter was to us. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, we, we've kind of been been welcomed in a bit more than we ever have been before in, in understanding a bit more about the, the man. And he's, you know, he's, I suppose, imperfections, his struggles, but also kind of his joys. And we, we've kind of been able to share in that and uh, again I think it, it shows his normality and I think again that there's lots of things that have spoken to lots of people in, in, in different ways um, around that and I just think actually this first song um, in, in, in some respects as I said it feels like we've kind of had that letter um, but it, it's great and I'm excited about the, the album and I do hope there'll be an East Street tour um i you know i hope the, the world gets back to normal I, you know he's not a young man i don't think we're gonna have lots and lots of tours i hope we um do get the the, the, the opportunity to to see him in those big stadiums big arenas you know at least a couple more times um i know i'll certainly be ready and waiting and doing everything i can to to buy tickets and maybe the kids will be old enough to take them as well that'd be um that would be great I wouldn't want them to never have a Springsteen experience. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's well said. Um, when we do get back, um, are there songs that you haven't heard him do live that you would like to, that you want? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a few songs that I was kind of looking back through at the songs that, you know, I've, I've kind of missed and... Um, you know, there's the, the the My Boss Time website is quite handy for, for going back. Yes, and it is, isn't those it? Things. Yes. And, yeah, and there's there's a few things. I was like, really, I haven't heard that. Um, Backstreet's being one. I'd love to hear that live. Um, Lucky Town. Again, I've got a few versions. I think one is, is from Rome. It was included in one of the recent um, Spotify kind of releases. The, the one that's got that absolutely killer guitar riff in it kind of in the middle which is not on the album version but on quite a few of the live versions certainly the one from from rome a few years ago um so i'd love to hear that and and actually kind of i was quite surprised then again one of the songs I, I love from kind of the Seeger sessions era which you know i know some springsteen fans are divided on i'm personally a big fan of and we shall overcome because again that that for me is um a really um special song and um yeah so they're, they're some of the tracks that I'd like to hear live. Um, but I, you know, I'm always kind of grateful for what I get. Um, again, one of the, one of the Hyde Park shows, um, I, in all the other songs, he, um, he finished it with, uh, Thunder Road and, um, he didn't, oh, I can't remember if talking about what he finished it with, but, you know, and some people that ruined the show for them. And it's just kind of like, well, actually, you know, in, in Bruce, we trust, um, 
he picks it and uh you know i think we're just there to enjoy it you know and i always kind of try to to go without that outlook and you know what will be will be um as i said at the minute i'd just be really grateful for another show yeah absolutely I, I'm, I'm right there with you um that's great that's great um okay so i always like to ask is there anything i should have asked you that i haven't andy <laughs> I don't think so. I kind of feel like I've talked about most of the things I'd kind of uh, scrolled down to, to plan to talk about. Well, this has been a lot of fun, uh, but we can't let you go without you answering the Mary question. So for people who this is their first podcast, or just a reminder for those, Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher in the Philadelphia area, and every year his senior class, he takes two days in the um, their um, honors English, um, and they break down Thunder Road as a poem. He, they go through all the lyrics, they look at the imagery, uh, they talk about the themes of the poem, they, comp they compare it to Robert Frost poems, and then at the end of the two days, uh, Jay asks the class, does Mary get in the car? So Andy, <laughs> that is your question. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely love um, hearing that story every time because um, I'd love to have been in, in that English class. Um, so I, I guess for me, the fact that we kind of walked down the aisle to it um, indicates for me that the she, answer she got is in. yes, she got right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, yes. But I, I think I think this whole question just sums up. Um, um, I was listening to I, I go out running quite a lot. I'm a quite a big runner, um, and I listen to a lot of audio books. I've just finished listening to one of Frank Turner's books where he talks about kind of songwriting and the, the idea that, you know, when a song is written as the artist, you, you actually don't have any control over it anymore. And you almost shouldn't try and retain that control over it. That's um, interesting. I, yeah, I, I like really that. like that idea that once you put a song out, actually it's then up to the audience to make of it as they will. And they might get completely the different interpretation, but that's kind of as the artist's you should be okay with that. Um, and I think that's so true for, for so many Bruce songs that, you know, actually Th Thunder Road could be this a song for the brokenhearted, but it could also absolutely, like it is for me, be a, a song for the very content that actually it has a very happy ending. Um, and I, you know, it's the beauty of music in general and so many kind of, of, of Springsteen songs allow that, that variety of interpretation. And, you know, sometimes we work out, what his his vision and his idea was when he was writing and even then i think we're still allowed to have our own interpretations i think that's um not something necessarily that that, that bruce would have a problem with yeah i i i've often joked that um i would love first off i'd love to have bruce on the podcast right who wouldn't but <laughs> to ask him the mary question and and would preface it saying you know <laughs> Because people are like, well, then you have the definite answer. I go, like, oh, no, we have what Bruce was thinking, but that necessarily isn't. And uh, for the very, I think you, you, the writer explained it perfectly. Like once that song, that story goes out into the world, it, your audience interprets and determines the meaning to themselves. Um, yeah. And every song means a little bit different to someone else. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. I think it's. I think it's. It's. It's why we all love music, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. It, uh, it, it links to our uh, most innermost emotions and feelings, and we can find purpose and meaning in in so many different ways. 
yeah. Because, uh, you know, I, I, I haven't told this story in a while, but um, the there was a, um, and I, I can't remember the guy now name, but um, he was on Lynette Corella for a while, had a, she did five or six episodes of talking to fans of Bruce, and one of the guys talked about that all that heaven will allow when he was fighting cancer was his theme because there there's the lyric where it says now some may want to die young man young and gloriously get it straight now mister hey buddy that ain't me because I've got something on my mind that sets me straight and walking proud and I want all the time all that heaven will allow and as fighting cancer he just used that the song and that verse I'm fighting. I'm fighting. I want all the time that heaven will allow. And I, I, you can, you could certainly imagine that Bruce wrote this. You know, it's a love song. It's, it's the story yeah. that you know he was going through, and someone took this and to mean it for them fighting um, such a horrible disease. I think was just a beautiful story. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm not a songwriter. I can play a few chords badly on the guitar. Some of my really good friends are, are, are musicians. Um, my friend Dave and, and, and Danny, uh, they both kind of uh, make a, a career out of it. So they're, you know, professional musicians. And, you know, I think they've always found that quite profound when, when, when people, you know, find that, that strength, that support, that um, uh, meaning in their songs. You know, it seems to be the great privilege of the songwriter when, when people find that. And, you know, whatever they might find, I think that the privilege remains the same. OK. Yeah, I agree. Um, this has been so much fun. Um, if someone wants to reach you, how can they? Um, I'm on Twitter quite a lot. Uh, Andy Lewis underscore RE. Um, and, you know, contact me on there and um, you can... Uh, I can send you emails or whatever. Um, okay. I'm quite often tweeting out links of, of my books if you want to buy them. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably the best way and easiest way to, to, to find me. Well, Andy, I appreciate you joining me. This has been a blast. I, I hope everyone at you and your family and the school remain safe. Uh, we are all in this together trying to get through this pandemic and get us to better days, to quote, a Springsteen song, right? Absolutely. And and so I thank you for taking time visiting with me, and I hope you had fun. No, it's been absolutely fantastic. A real real honour and a real privilege um, to, to to be featured on the the, the podcast. Uh, I think in you know it's uh, such a great thing. It's you know it's like the, um, the the documentary a few years ago, and the uh, the Springsteen and I and and this podcast. I love listening to to random Springsteen fans from around the world and I thank you for, for, for kind of um, arranging for us to kind of share our stories with one another it's uh, it's great to be part of that that community all brought together by uh, by uh, Mr Springsteen well I appreciate you saying that yes that is my goal always um, 
I, I've made the joke that I think every Springsteen fan has a story, and it's my goal to get all of them uh, recorded. So uh, thank you for those kind words. I appreciate it. Uh, listeners, you stay safe. Remember to social distance. Remember to wash your hands. Remember to wear an effing mask. And please be good to each other because it's a tough time for all of us. But for now, be safe, be well, and we'll talk to you soon. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at setlustingbruce, and my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. We have a website, www.setlessingbruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Bruce shirts as well as a Mary Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing Bruce. Set Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.